0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative-ish. We're your hosts. I'm Kelly and
1: I'm Ariana
0: and today we have a conversation with Sarah Noel from Between the Lines Copy. She is a copywriter. She has worked with hundreds of clients. She has her own course on how to write your own website copy and she is an all-around great resource and definitely this episode had a lot of nuggets of wisdom.
1: Yeah, so in this episode, we kind of just pulled back the curtain on what it's like running a freelancing business as a copywriter. So you guys will hear what it was like for Sarah to get started freelancing as a copywriter, what were some Struggles that she overcame, what was a huge turning point in her business, and how she achieved freedom and success in her business. So, we're talking about that, and we're also talking about some copywriting tips. So, if you guys are thinking of making your website, copywriting is a huge aspect of your website, if not the most important part, because without the copy, there is no design. So, in this episode, Sarah shares her tips and her advice for writing website copy and also content creation because she is incredibly consistent across multiple channels. So she has a newsletter, she has her Instagram where she shares a lot of valuable content, she has a blog, she also has a Pinterest account. So we asked her what was her process like for content creation and writing content and all of that. So I think that this is a very insightful conversation for you guys and we hope that you guys enjoy it. So let's get into it. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Creative-ish. We're so excited to chat with you today all about copywriting and running a service-based business. So for people that aren't familiar with you, we want them to catch a vibe. So as a little icebreaker question, please share with us. uh, a Not-so-humble brag, and it can be about anything. It can be about your business or just something that you're currently really proud of. Anything.
2: Oh. You know that's really hard because um, I've never made a humble brag in my life. I don't consider myself humble as a person. Yeah, you know, what I should brag about? There's so many things. <laughs> so I mean, the number one thing I feel like that people are interested in or or they say you know is impressive is that I run the service-based business I'm a website copywriter and marketing mentor for service-based business owners like myself and I help them write their website copy their email marketing do all that stuff but I feel like the most impressive part about it is that I taught myself everything for free online and I do it while also being a single mom so that's my not so humble brag
0: that's amazing (laughs) and we also know that you are specialized in website copywriting so you know you started being a copywriter how did that journey start and how did you specialize in website copywriting
2: so the journey started about four years ago i was moving and to a different country and i needed a remote job so i figured you know let me try something that i've always wanted to do i've always been a good writer i didn't go to school for marketing i didn't you know mean to professionally pursue this path at all. I just was looking for remote jobs and I figured, you know, all the things that I have degrees in, you can't really find a remote job in those fields. Um, So I was like, just rewracking my brain for the skills that I had, the things that I would actually like to do, because this move was presenting an opportunity for me to, you know, make a change. So I figured I've always liked writing, let me just try that out. And I fell into copywriting that way. And I had done it before in previous positions, but like, I didn't even know it was called that. Like I literally had to Google what is copywriting. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) I know (laughs) about that. I've done that before, I just didn't know it was called that. But then I spent a ton of time, I would say like a whole summer teaching myself everything, practicing, reaching out to people in my community, offering to work for them for free in exchange for a testimonial, and then gained traction. That way, a a couple of those people ended up becoming paying clients. And I would say within like three to four months, it really Really popped off. I wasn't expecting it to pop off like that. Um, and then one person randomly asked me to do a website one day, and I was like, "I never done that before, but sure, absolutely, <laughs> let's do it." Um, so I did that, loved it, and I liked that the project was, you know, a reason for me to work with the client for a little bit of a longer time. Before that, I had been writing like blogs, emails, social captions, you know, smaller projects that also had a smaller price point. So doing this longer project, it let me dive deep into that client's story and know more about them. So I liked that longer relationship that I got to have with them. Um, I say long relationship. It's like a couple weeks, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you can build a relationship with someone so much faster when you have a lot to write about them, like a website is a big project. So that's how I fell into it and then loved that project. Um, she gave me great feedback and then I just kept you know, seeking out more clients like that and then decided websites were going to be my thing and became, you know, self-proclaimed website copy queen. I've written hundreds of websites now and that's my thing. I also teach website copy to people who are interested in writing their own.
1: Nice. And looking back at those beginning stages of BTL copy, like what was that like? Did you have any struggles at the beginning? I know that you said like it popped off. But looking back, did you have any struggles with, like, making consistent income or any struggles with, like, managing clients or inspiration blogs? Um, Tell us about that.
2: So I am thankful I didn't have any struggle with the income, which was what I expected to struggle with. So I went in, or I guess I didn't expect to struggle with it, but I expected that to be the most difficult part about Freelancing was finding a consistent income, you know, Mm -hmm. getting those recurring clients, especially because, like I said, I specialize in website copy. That's not a return project, right? You're not going to hire me to write your website copy more than once unless, you know, you completely change your business or you have some reason that you're like redoing something. You know, your website copy is going to last you anywhere from two to five years, maybe more, depending on your business. So I'm consistently have to get new clients. It's not like I'm writing blogs for somebody on the regular. So I assumed that that would be the struggle. Um, But just the time that I started like that, you know, everybody was starting new businesses, especially around 2020, 2021. People realized like I do not want to go back to that godforsaken office I've been working in. People started starting their own things. Everyone needed a website. It was a great time to be a new website copywriter. But what I did struggle with was managing my time because I'd never had a position. I've never had a job where I could just decide how much I earned, decide how to spend my time. So for me, I'm a huge overachiever. Like I would work 24 seven if I didn't have to raise a human also, <laughs> like I would be a human myself, I would spend all of my time doing that because I like doing it. I think it's fun. I have a ton of, you know, creative ideas. And that's the part that comes easy to me. In the beginning, especially, it was so, so difficult for me to say no to things to projects, because if somebody's waving, you know, cash in front of your face, are you going to say no, <laughs> you don't want it, especially because As a freelancer in the beginning, you don't know when your next client's going to come. Now, being a little bit more experienced, I can assume, yes, I'm probably going to get an inquiry because I know how many people are on my email list and how many people follow me on Pinterest and, you know, which blogs of mine are ranking on Google right now. Like, I'm putting in the work so that I get the inquiries now and I can trust the marketing efforts that I've done now. But in the beginning, you can't – you don't know. Like, you're just hoping that what you're doing is going to work. So I was – interested in obviously taking on as much as I possibly could, but I wasn't able in the beginning to discern like how long things would take me or like the revisions that I would have to do with clients or accounting for, you know, people not sending me things on time or people that I was already working with wanting me to do more for them. That, that I feel like is the number one thing that I would forget. Like, if I write a website for somebody, it's a good chance that they're gonna ask me eventually, like, oh, actually, can you write a sales page too? Or, oh, can we work on my email marketing? Because I do that as well. So I wouldn't want to say no to that person because I already like them, I've already established a relationship with them. So I like struggled a lot with leaving space for return clients to come back and ask for different projects and just managing my time because there's no ceiling to what you can earn as a freelancer. Like there's not a cap. It's not like, all right, cool, you made five grand this month, you're set, that's your salary. Well, if you you know have an S Corp, that, that is your salary maybe. But in terms of the actual revenue your business is making, it, it's unlimited. So that for me was very difficult. It was hard to prioritize my sanity over my bank account in the beginning. And it took me a couple of years to realize that the only reason anyone even wants money in the first place is so they can do whatever they want with their time. So once I realized that my time was so much more valuable to me than like the number in my bank account, that's when I started to be like, all right, would I rather have six hours of free time or would I have this invoice? And that's what a question I ask myself every time or would I rather have you know a free day to myself or do I want to be like spending time you know writing about this person specifically? So those are the the trade-offs that I think about in my head. like what else could I do with this time? Do I need this for a certain? reason. Um, Or like maybe in a certain season, I'm able to take on more like in summer, I usually take July off because why not? (laughs) And so I know that because of that, I probably have to work a little bit harder in April to make that happen. So it was difficult to find that balance. But I'm, I'm, I was going to say I found it, but I, I won't be dramatic. I feel like everyone always still has work to do. I could definitely manage my time better even still. But in the beginning, it was hard.
0: This is something I think we are struggling with. And we've always struggled with it. And I still don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So (laughs) seeing you say that, that, you know, it's a work in progress, you know, yeah, gives me calm reassurance. Yeah, reassurance. (laughs) I guess we wanted to talk a
1: little bit about now, like, how did you find your own voice as a service provider? And like, Differentiate it yourself from other copywriters because I feel like this can be a part where a lot of service providers like making their own copy or making their own content or building up their online presence maybe they struggle to find like what makes them unique, what makes them them, and how to like put that into their copy. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot of self reflecting and all of that. So tell us about what was that process like for you?
2: So for me, I actually feel like it's the opposite. So I feel like I have to remind myself not to um, sound like other people and continue to stay true to myself. So for me, it wasn't as much as like, how do I develop my brand voice from scratch? Like, how do I create a voice for between the lines copywriting? Because I feel like I very much embody term of a freelancer, right? Like I own a copywriting business. There are people that help me, but I don't outsource my copywriting to anyone else. Like I'm the only person that's talking to my clients unless I have one of my mentees there to, you know, learn about client experience or something like that. It's very much me by myself doing all of the actual like writing and work in that way. So it's my voice. Like if you're getting my email newsletter on Tuesday morning, I sound exactly like between the lines sounds. And that's not something I would advise Mm -hmm. for every brand, but for me specifically that's what works and I feel like it it works because the people that I'm trying to attract are the people that I would want to be friends with. Like I love becoming friends with my clients. One of my best friends in the world that accidentally met on a client zoom call. She worked for a client of mine, Mm. my client's internet didn't work. And we were just sitting there talking to each other, waiting for her to come back. And now we're best friends. She babysits my son for me. She slept over the other night. Like that's my ideal situation. I love to become friends with my clients. Um, or at least, you know, be able to communicate with them like friends. So for me, it made the most sense to just show up as myself because, Technically, the brand is just me (laughs) with a professional hat on. So for me, it wasn't as difficult to develop the brand voice as it was to, or I guess it's not difficult, but I, I need to constantly remind myself, like, it's okay if I'm going to just show up as myself. There are going to be people that are attracted to that, and there are going to be people that are not. Like, if you go to my website right now, you will see on my about page that I identify as a hoe for italics. Somebody's going to think that's so funny, and somebody else is going to say, why the hell did she say hoe on her website? Like, she probably shouldn't do that. So, And there are other copywriters that are, like, probably clutching their pearls about me saying that, and then there are other copywriters that sound just like me, and they're, you know, having a reverend brand voice, too. So I feel like half the battle is looking at other people, other service providers in your industry, whether they're the same exact profession as you or somebody else and seeing like, oh, that works for them. Like, maybe I should try that. Find a lot of my mentees. I work with aspiring copywriters to help them <laughs> in their journey to becoming a more successful, you know, full-time, sustainable freelance copywriter. Um, and they always ask that question of like, oh, but this is working for this person. Like, maybe I should try that. But the most effective strategy is just to be yourself because it's not sustainable to try and be anybody else at all. Like if you try to emulate somebody else's brand voice or you see like, oh, this is working for that person or this person's a little bit more professional than me and you try to act like them, people are going to see right through that because it's not going to come easy to you at all to embody somebody else's voice. Um, And that's not to say you shouldn't, you know, create a brand voice for your brand. Obviously you have to consider who you're talking to, you know, how your ideal clients speak and the things that are going to attract the people that you want to work with to you. But for me, I knew that it was going to have to be my personality. Like it was just going to have to be me being aggressively myself because that's the only way that I would be able to sustain the business that I wanted to grow. Like I couldn't lose my integrity in that way. And it would have been like, I don't even know what I would sound like if I didn't sound like just myself. And that's coming from somebody who does help clients all the time, create a brand voice for their clients. But for me specifically, it's just being aggressively myself, not caring if there are people that, don't like it because those are not my people. People forget that all the time. And just remembering that when I'm marketing my business, myself, whatever it is, that's really just me having a one-on-one conversation with the other person on the side of the screen. And I'm gonna assume that person's my friend. I'm gonna talk to them like they're my friend. Like they're interested in what I have to say. Like they respect me like a friend does. Like we can have a chill, casual conversation because at the end of the day, I'm just a girl. (laughs) They're probably also just a girl and they need some copy and why not get it from somebody who talks like them? Like you don't have to work with this like buttoned up persona that everyone thinks maybe you have to have. So being aggressively myself, not looking at other people and, and getting discouraged because they are succeeding in a different way. There's a million paths to success and you know, this is the
0: one that I chose. I absolutely love that. And yeah, I guess it's just really hard for some people to write their own copy as service providers. Like I feel like some people might find it cringe and it's like, oh, why is it so hard to show my personality? So, you know, it's a little bit hard on that front and especially us as designers, like when we design websites for our clients, that is the step where they get paralyzed and it's like, relax, (laughs) show your personality, don't worry about it. So could you... Like, share some tips, um, some quick tips about people that might be struggling writing their own website copy.
2: Yes. I was hoping you were going to ask that. So, the first thing that I have to say to that, I know that designers struggle with this so hard. Like, I, I am of the opinion that every designer should require their clients to have the copy done, whether it's by a copywriter or them themselves, prior to starting the project. Because that will make your life so much easier. I'm on my soapbox about that. I'm very much team copy before design. But anyway, to speak to the people who are struggling writing their own website copy, the first thing, especially to people who think it's cringe, I actually feel like I don't hear that a lot. Like maybe a younger audience would say that. Uh, But I find that most people think that it's just straight up difficult. It's not that they're like, oh, like, I don't know, this sounds like Weird, it's more like I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm bragging, I'm uncomfortable talking about myself, I'm uncomfortable with saying how great I am, like this, so they'll choose me. You know what I mean? I think the first thing that I would say is you're overthinking it, like drastically overthinking it, especially if you're looking at you know a million websites on the internet. Like I was just talking about, if you look at Susie and Susie says one thing, and you look over at Sally and Sally says another thing, and you're like, I don't want to say either of those things, what the frick do I say? You start to overthink it, you start to get decision fatigue, you start to become overwhelmed with it. I feel like it really helps to have a solid, like, knowledge of what has to be on every single page of your site. So that's where I would start, I would, you know, whether you're going to Purchase a website copy template, I have one, or a website copy course, I have one of those too, or free website copy education, I got that for you. (laughs) Or anyone, look at any website copywriter, it doesn't have to be me. Find yourself a list of what should be on every single page of your site, then you're not starting from a blank piece of paper, like not knowing what to say, staring at the freaking cursor, looking at you, doomed to not write anything. Um, I would say having a guide to help you Know just what you need to say, not even how you need to say it or the way you're going to say it. Just, all right, cool. I know my homepage has to have a headline, an introduction. There should be a section where I introduce myself. There should be a section where I go over the services that I offer. Maybe why someone would choose me, you know, what that person needs to know to make a buying decision or take that next step. Even if you have the the brief overview of like, all right, it has to have these things. Cool. Now you have a starting point thinking about what your ideal client or actually back up for a second, who your ideal client is, okay? Who's that person that you're talking to? What would they wanna hear? If they were standing in front of you, you met them randomly, in the line at Crumble Cookies. I met somebody randomly in the line at Crumble Cookies when they opened like a year ago. And I was talking to this man and he said, so what do you do? And I told him casually what I did and he told me what he did. Turns out we did something very similar. Um, you know, we talked about a potential collaboration and I just had a conversation with him right there. And afterwards I was thinking about it and I was like, that's basically what my website does every day when I'm not looking. So thinking about what you would have, you know, what you would say in a conversation like that And just say that, so many people love to overcomplicate it, but the simple direct copy that just straight up says it converts the best. Like that's what's gonna get you the best results. And a lot of people either overthink what they say about themselves, so they end up making this really weird like third person bio that talks about their like bachelor's degree and like what their previous job was and all, nobody cares. This is not LinkedIn, they have that already. LinkedIn exists, all right? It doesn't need to be on your website. You can link it if you want. Tell the people why they would choose you. Why would they want to work with you at all? Like Even you don't have to explicitly say that. Just give them details about yourself. If You want inspiration. Look at my about page. It's between the lines, slash about. I also have plenty of blog posts with examples of tons of about pages. If you want inspiration, but people love to, like I said, overcomplicate what they're actually saying about themselves. And they like twist themselves into a weird bio that like they don't even like, or they overthink that the fact that it has to be like super professional people love to use the word professional to substitute for vague and like something like elevated, but you actually just don't know what they're saying. And they're just saying a whole bunch of fancy words. that mean, nothing. Why Mm -hmm. for what nobody's going to be able to make a buying decision. If you don't tell them what to do or what you offer or who you do it for or why they would need it, that's it. So. Like I said, it makes it easier if you know exactly what to put on your site, it makes it easier when you know who your ideal client is or who your target audience is, the way that they talk, what they need to know. Also their stage of awareness will really help you decide what to write on your website copy, because if this person is, you know, let's t- take website copywriting, for example, just because we're already on the subject and it's easy. If somebody is thinking about whether or not they need a website, they're probably a problem-aware audience. So they're aware of their problem, but they don't know what the solution is. Now that I know that about my audience, I'm gonna spend a lot of time on my website explaining why they need a website, like the benefits of having a good website, what a great website can do for them. I'm gonna educate them about that so they can you know, find their solution. But if my audience already knows I need a website, now I'm just deciding who's gonna write it for me, That's a completely different ballgame. I'm not going to waste my time talking about why you would need a website. Instead, I'm going to talk about why you need me to be your website copywriter. Because they're deciding who the solution is going to come from. So, you know, you can apply that to anything. There's five stages of awareness. Just Google stages of awareness if you're curious about that. But knowing that about your audience is really helpful. And then just remember, it's a conversation. Your website is not billboard. You're not there to just put up a message and then not have anyone interact with it you're hoping that they're gonna want to continue that conversation, take the next step and inquire or purchase or sign up or download whatever your call to action is. You're hoping that they're going to want to engage with you. So just think about it as a combo with you and somebody standing in front of you, <laughs> which that's probably giving people a social anxiety, even more anxiety, but pretend like you're talking to a friend, okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, those are the best tips uh, to recap. Don't overthink it. Simplify your message and write your copy in a conversational way as if you were talking to the stranger on crumble cookies. <laughs>
2: yeah, in the line of crumble cookies. Exactly. I feel like I'm the only one who does that. Like I really always welcome a conversation with a stranger. Uh somebody told me the other day that was one of my red flags, which that was rude. But
1: <laughs> How I is that like a red flag? Like, oh my gosh, no. That's
2: what I am saying. They're like, You you're too extroverted for me, okay? Go back in your hole then. I don't know. So uh, I feel like people <laughs> wonder what conversational copy is because like simplifying those tips. The, my biggest question that I always get asked is like, how do I do that? Like, how do I write copy conversationally? So if you're wondering that, if I just said my whole monologue and you're like, okay, cool, but how? Read it out loud to yourself. Notice where those natural pauses are and the natural, you know, way you put emphasis on certain words. Identify those. Use punctuation to... to Make the reader read it the way that you want it to be read. So you're obviously going to read something different. If there's a comma there, you know, to pause. If something's italicized, you know that they are trying to emphasize that specific thing. That's, you know, the infliction in our voice is what's missing in this conversation we're having on our website copy. So if you use those tools correctly, people will read it the way that you're saying it, and that'll make it sound more conversational. And then also adding the words that your English teacher told you not to like start a sentence with so start a sentence with and start a sentence with because say things like you know in the middle of your sentence and it'll read like a real conversation so those are my two copywriting conversational tips for you (laughs) bonus
0: I love that sometimes it's difficult because it's like oh you know people might think I'm dumb or something or like they'll think I don't know how to write but it's like chill just (laughs) write the way you speak I totally love that.
1: So we also wanted to talk to you about content creation because you're incredibly consistent and you're able to produce a lot of very valuable and engaging content across multiple platforms. So you have your blog, you have a really cool newsletter, you have your Instagram account, which is always popping off. Um, So I guess like if we were able to look behind the curtain as to like how you produce so much content um what is your process like for writing and producing content and how do you like balance multiple platforms
2: okay so i'm sorry that i don't have a more helpful answer but i struggle with absolutely raging adhd so i hyperfixate on content creation and am like whenever you know that part of my brain decides to light up that day so i noticed that i was doing that like i would just work on you know, content creation in any capacity when inspiration struck, because that's kind of what you have to do when you're in this profession. But I noticed that was like cutting into my actual work time because I only have about 24 hours a week, six hours a day, four days a week to work on my actual business. Because like I said, toddler mom, all other hours of the day, that's when he's in school, this is when i'm working so i noticed real quick that was not sustainable so i decided to set up one day each week that i would only work on my business until my like business tasks and marketing tasks for myself for the week were done and then i could work on client work or whatever it is so i send a weekly newsletter every single tuesday uh, i've been doing that for 122 weeks now at the time of this podcast recording uh every week straight i've never missed a week so that's my number one Marketing task, like I will not skip my newsletter. It's my favorite thing that I write. It's where I get the best engagement. A ton of my, you know, sales leads, everything comes from that. I would say sixty percent of my income last year came from people on my email list. Uh, so that's my number one priority, and plus, I just love it. Like we're we're having some intimate conversations over there. Like uh, two weeks ago, I told them the story of me getting a tattoo on a first date. Like that—that's the type of stuff I'm talking about in my newsletter. So we're not skipping that because that's the definition of having a good conversation with a friend. So that's my priority. Um, I usually plan those out like a month in advance, unless something wild happens to me. Um, and then I decide what I'm going to say in those newsletters based on whatever I'm trying to promote. So right now I can, you know, tell stories like that because I'm not trying to like sell a specific thing. I'm currently booked until September. So I'm not, I don't have like a very serious call to action, but you'll notice And my website copy course launches again in September. In August, best believe I'll be talking about website copy. Best believe I'll be talking about all the things that my course, you know, has to offer. And that's the the strategy behind what I'm writing. It's pretty simple. But beyond that, because that's my number one priority, everything else is secondary to me. However, I will say that's because I spent a lot of time in the beginning of my business, like the first two years of business, writing a high volume of content. So I think I'd have maybe 150 blog posts, if I had to guess. A lot of those were written, you know, two years ago, and then I continue to update them. Like, you'll notice if you go on my blog, you'll probably see some that say like 2023 next to them. Chances are, I wrote that in 2021 and just recently updated it for 2023. So, the blog content, I feel like it might look like I'm posting that a lot, but I'm really not. I'm posting maybe two blogs a month. There was sometimes though I could post three blogs in a day. I'm just like in a manic episode like that. So the blogging is a little bit more inconsistent, but I do have a Pinterest manager that consistently promotes the blogs that I have in my, whether they're new, old, whatever, um, on my Pinterest account. So that has been my like longest standing marketing platform. I started that in the fall of 2020, um, started working with her at that time as well. And she's grown the account from 94 followers to I think about 17,000 now. So that's sick. Uh, she does all that. I don't do anything Pinterest. And then in terms of Instagram, that there is, I'm so sorry, there is no strategy <laughs> happening over there on Instagram. That is like, if I have the time and I want to post something, uh, I I'm, guess I'm going to post it. I do have uh, my lovely client tonic site shops, uh, templates that makes content creation so much easier. What if you can have a social media template? Highly, highly recommend it. Simplifies it so much because you can be tinkering with the little Canva templates four hours for what? Like templating your life makes everything so much easier. I have a template for everything. So whether you buy them from, you know, Tonic side Shop or not, whoever sells Instagram templates that speak to your soul, you should buy them because it makes your life so much easier. So to recap, <laughs> I write my newsletters for every Tuesday either on the Monday before, or sometimes I'll batch them, you know, a couple ahead. If I know I'm going to have a busy week or if I know, you know, what I'm saying in the next week's newsletter and I don't have to wait for inspiration to strike. Um, and then I write blog posts when I can, I post on Instagram when I can, and I just try to do my best in terms of consistency, but in, in terms of the volume, um, cause it is occasionally a high volume of content in comparison to maybe what other people are posting. Like I said, I'm, acting on the inspiration when it happens and as I mentioned before I like talking about it like the ideas are it's not if I'm not posting it's not for lack of ideas it's for lack of time um so when I do have the time I'm like trying to crank out the ideas that I have but that's that's it I would hyper fix it on work and I have ADHD that's my really big content marketing recipe
0: I totally understand I always tell Adi I think I have undiagnosed ADHD
2: I got diagnosed when I was 26
0: I get like this euphoric feeling and then I have to do like only that thing and I'm just fixated on that. So I totally understand that feeling. But yeah, I absolutely love your newsletter. It is absolutely hilarious. I look forward (laughs) to it every week. You just share a bunch of valuable content in there. So doing a great job. And we also had some questions about it as well. So what do you think are some essential elements of a great newsletter.
2: So depends on your goals. <laughs> Anyone who's ever learned from me in any capacity asks me a question I always start with depends on your goals. Like I'm a broken record when it comes to that, because everyone is different. I just recently taught a live email marketing course this past January, and there were students in the course that have a business like mine that work a nine to five and want to start a business. They were personal brands. They were e-commerce brands. So every every person's newsletter is going to be different just because of the sake of their industry, but also because of who they are, how they want to show up in the world in terms of their marketing, who they're attracting. So like I said before, I know my audience is just like me, right? There are people like me that want to hear these funny stories, but also want to learn and who like a long story. I know that about my audience. If you knew your audience didn't have the attention span, you wouldn't want to like tell a long story like I do. So I feel like again, depending on your goals and knowing your target audiences, consider that when I share my advice with you. So my biggest newsletter tip is, again, to have a template like I was just talking about. Have a format that you send every single week, not only to make the content creation of it all easier for you, but to make it consistent. So showing up the same day at the same time every single week drastically improves your engagement because people know, okay, it's Tuesday, 6.20 in the morning, cool. I know that if I check my email, BTL is going to be there and saying some shit. She's going to be telling me some wild story. I don't know what I'm going to read this morning, but it's going to be something and she's going to be there. And they know to expect the format that I have. So it's going to be an introduction, probably with the story. It's going to be me telling you what else you're going to read in my little table of contents. That's what my newsletter is called. And then from there, it's going to be a marketing tip. I'm going to share some helpful blog posts, maybe a case study about a project that I just did. I have a call to action in the conclusion every time that's different. And then that's it. So you know what you're going to read. So having consistency in terms of day, time, and format of your newsletter is huge. And then in terms of the actual content, people love to overthink that. Like that is completely up to you. You can share anything you want. You could share a tip. You could share a story. You could share what you did that day, what you're doing that week, you know, an element of your process. There's literally endless (laughs) ideas of what you could share in your newsletter. I actually have a newsletter planner template. I sell it pretty cheap. It's 29 bucks. It's an air table content calendar, and it has 62 ideas for your weekly newsletter in there. And then the exact template that I use to plan all my newsletters out like that I made for myself, I just duplicated it and I'm giving it to you. Um, and so that's your entire, you know, year's worth and more of newsletter ideas. If that's something you're struggling with and the planning of it all is what's holding you back. So I'm sure these lovely gals would link it in the show notes for you <laughs> if you're interested. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's my best tips, just consistency matters way more than like the actual rundown of the newsletter. I don't wanna say that the content doesn't matter because obviously it does, but consistency matters almost just as much that so people know to expect you. They'll become loyal readers. I also think it's very important if you're listening to this and you're you know excited, I'm telling you 60% of my income came from my email list and you're like, oh my God, I should probably freaking get on that. Um, it's important to note that engagement in email is not like engagement on social. On social, you post something, instantly you're getting likes you're getting comments you're getting dms you're getting shares you're getting responses you're getting instant gratification and email maybe nobody's going to respond to your newsletter you can go in your analytics and see who opened it who clicked on stuff you don't know if somebody's going to respond you never know what the reason they're going to respond is you're think about reading an email newsletter yourself do you respond every single time you like an email newsletter you're not going to be like love this one I mean, you could. Speaking as a newsletter creator, that would be nice if you did. Uh, but, you know, I have thousands of people on my email list, and I'm getting a couple of responses every Tuesday, but it's not I don't get thousands of responses every single Tuesday like, hey, Sarah, I like this one. But then on occasion, I will get an email from a person who's been on my list for a year. I've never heard of them in my life, and they're like, oh, my God, this one spoke to me. I sent an email this week. That got a ton of responses from people I've literally never engaged with ever saying like, oh, I really needed this today. And somebody said, this is the most relatable email I've ever read. Uh, another person said she cried. Another person said that they felt the same. I didn't know that I was going to get that response next week. I'm sure that somebody will respond and I won't know you know, why that story resonates with them so much. You never know what's going to make somebody engage with you. But a lot of people get discouraged when they don't see the same type of engagement with email marketing that they do with social but it will benefit you in the long run. I had a client who was on my email list for six months, told me, she said, I signed, subscribed to your newsletter six months ago. I read every single newsletter. She literally said this. She goes, to make sure you didn't repeat your content and that you were still interesting six months later. And that's when I chose to inquire. I was like, okay. I'm glad wow. you did, but interesting. <laughs> so it's a long game. So don't <laughs> get this You're just getting started.
1: We encourage all our clients to start their own newsletters because it can be such a life-changing thing in your business it's a direct Mm -hmm. point with your potential clients and Mm -hmm. I liked what you said that it can have any format because I feel like some people overthink it and think Mm -hmm. that it has to be like this really long article or that it has to be valuable each week but honestly your newsletter can have any type of format like I remember Steph Taylor she created Mm -hmm. um, her daily business boost I was literally And that just was just one sentence, like one tip. Yeah, so I thought that that was so creative and it just simplified the whole process. It's just like find a way that you can show up weekly to those people that are interested about you. It doesn't, you don't have to overthink it. Yeah, it's yeah, just
0: to I remind know. people that you exist. Yeah, like, yeah literally. Hey guys, like, I'm still here. Every time I write an email, it's like, Hey, Hi. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> just reminding them just in case they need me. Um, yeah, much, so I absolutely- yeah. And also, this is um, a self-serving question, but I feel like sometimes w- we do the newsletter content and then it comes to the subject line and we freeze. It's like, what do I write on the subject line? So do you have any tips on how to create like engaging subject lines?
2: I would say in terms of subject lines there's like a couple ways you could go you know what i mean you could go for a more like clickbait title i feel like it's a classic choice um so when you want somebody to be interested in what you're writing think about what you wrote about what's the most interesting part about that like the number one reason why they would um be interested in seeing this content is it going to be like that you make a wild claim is it going to be like you earned a certain amount of dollars or you did something impressive or like it's like a how-to situation um so i would consider like what the you know the most engaging part is think about that and then use that as your subject line so for example um if i'm talking about I don't know, let's say I wanted to brag about or like not brag about that too. We'll go with brag about. I was gonna take it back, but never mind, we'll go with that. If I was gonna brag about, you know, a sales page project that I did, I would probably say, like, I couldn't believe she earned this much. Or like she spent four thousand and made two hundred thousand or something like that. Like I would say some a dollar amount. People love a dollar amount. Um, or if I'm talking about a tip, and I know that tip. Like people are really interested in learning about that specific thing from me. Then I would just straight up go with that. Like how to write the best emails. Like people love my emails. If, they, if I'm telling you how to write emails, you're gonna click on it because you're like, okay, I want to know that. Or um, my subject line coming up for a newsletter is gonna be I relapsed, and you're gonna be like, what? And then it's the story is gonna be about how I relapsed on my target uh, target ban that I was on this year. I was 14 weeks target clean, but I just had to go in an emergency situation, y'all can read about that in my newsletter. But you know what I mean? Like You wouldn't expect what that's gonna be. I feel like, actually that reminds me of a big, big tip that I have about email marketing in general, subject lines and starting off your newsletters, this is start in the middle. So instead of saying like, back in the day when I was six years old and I made a lemonade stand, you would just say like, nobody came to my lemonade stand. Or like, I was sitting there, a single tear dripping down my face, like holding a pitcher of lemonade in my hand, like wondering what happened you're going to be like, what were you doing? But you know what I mean? It's the difference between you telling someone, Hey, I'm about to tell you a story. Like you listening. Cool. Or versus just like, this is the story you're going to engage them either way. But when you're saying like, Hey, I'm going to tell you a story. You cool with that? With the whole, like back in the day, when I was six, they know they're about to read a story, but they might not be like, in the right frame of mind to hear a story in that moment or maybe they're just over it and they just scroll past it but if I say something engaging I start in the middle of the story they're hooked and they have no choice but to move on so think about that when you're writing your subject lines think about like what's what's going to make them want to read the next line that's what I usually go with in terms of subject lines mm,
0: that's very smart I love it um, and I I would also love to know what's in your inbox. Like, what are some Ooh. newsletters you're subscribed to and that you take inspiration from?
2: That's a great question. Actually, just literally today, right before this, updated my marketing newsletters to subscribe to blog posts for 2023, like I was just talking about. Um, so, my favorite newsletters. Besides my lovely Tuesday table of contents that I write myself, um, I subscribe to a lot of my friends because I like to keep you know up to date with what they're up to. So I love Sarah Kleist's newsletter. Um, hers is called Act Break. Uh, one of my mentees, Alethea, she has a newsletter. Her business is called Copy with Spice. Uh, my clients, Tonic Side Shop. I love their newsletter. They have a similar like long story-based emails to mine. They send them every Friday. Theirs is called the Long and Weird newsletter. Um, I love Anne Hanley's newsletter. It's called Total Anarchy. Um, I liked Marketing Examples newsletter. He doesn't send it as frequently anymore, I don't think. My friend Harry. Um, that's a great marketing resource, by the way. Marketingexamples.com. He's awesome. And he simplifies like copywriting tips, email marketing tips, everything like that in a way that literally anyone can understand. So you should go stalk him. If you like what you heard in this episode, you'd love following him. But who else do I follow in terms of newsletters? I've been subscribed to the skim for a wicked long time. I don't read it as much anymore. Uh, Same with marketing brew. Another good one is please advise. But yeah, I have a blog post about all that. Just Google marketing newsletters to subscribe to. It'll come up and you can read it there.
1: Oh, we'll link it. We'll link that <laughs> article. We also wanted to dive a little deeper on your business. And we were just curious if you've had a turning point in your business that has been like very significant. And yesterday we put a little question box to our audience to see like what they wanted to learn from you. And someone said that they wanted to know like how to find success as a service provider and how to feel like you're constantly chasing it. So by it, I guess they mean like constantly chasing money, chasing clients or chasing attention on social media. So what would be your advice for them?
2: To answer the first part, the turning point for me, I feel like I can think of two. The first being my first ever season of burnout. I remember it was I think it was maybe the first March after I just started. And I was really struggling with that, like. I knew that I was booking out a couple months in advance and I had just kept telling everyone like, yeah, like I'm March, like March, I can start in March. We can start this in March. Like I'm free in March because I knew I was busy like December, January, February. So I just kept telling everybody March. And that was like my my line until I obviously booked March, but like didn't realize that. So then March came and I was like wanted to cry every second of the day and everything, everything was wrong. (laughs) I was working a ridiculous amount and I like couldn't catch up. So then that was when I realized like, oh, maybe we should pay attention to how much we're able to take on and what we're able to actually do. And it's not that serious if we don't out earn the last month or if we don't, you know, hit the ridiculously high goals we've been setting for ourselves every single month. Um, So that was the first turning point that I was like I was talking about before I realized like, oh my life actually matters more than my bank account. I should probably care about my free time because that's what I actually want. That's why I'm freelance, duh. So that was Mm -hmm. the first turning point. Then the second turning point that I can identify is when I launched my online course around this time last year, Um, because I'd always wanted to take a jump into online education. I don't ever plan on fully transitioning to just education. I always want to offer one-on-one services because I feel like A, it makes me more credible as an educator because if I'm not consistently like learning more about my craft, developing it, like using the formulas that I'm teaching for my own clients and making sure that they work, then I feel like, why would you want to learn from me? You know what I mean? Why would you want to learn from someone who's not doing it anymore? Um, So I, I just like doing that too. I love to connect with people. I'm a huge extrovert. I get my energy from doing things like this. So... I was interested to see like how the shift to add online education to the mix would work. And it was great. I was so excited to launch the course. I've launched it four times since then. Um, and I'm launching it again in September. So that was another big shift, just like seeing, you know, obviously I earn income from that now and how that affects, like mm-hmm. I'm able to take on a little bit less now because of that, that's sick. Um, so, figuring out the balance of like, how much one-on-one do I need to do now with the addition of that other stream of income? So that was another turning point for me and I'm really excited about it. I started offering mentorship as well. So that was another turning point. Just every time like something changed in terms of offerings, I like reimagined just the way that I needed to show up business-wise and what I need to do business-wise. So those are the turning points Then in terms of chasing success, I feel like something that I've realized that's been helpful to me is like I said before, I have a lot of ideas. Like I have 100% of the time thinking about work. If I could not be like that, I would. If I could shut my brain off to it, I would, but I just am not able. Like I don't wanna be like, I just have so many ideas and I'm so creative. Like I wanted my brain to shut up. Like I don't want the ideas. It's stressing me out the amount of like possibility that there is. So I think that realizing that I don't have to act on all of the things that I want to do and be and create and earn and make and whatever. At this time, it's very difficult with ADHD to not assign every single thing the same priority. That's like one of the number one things I struggle with. Um, with mm-hmm. that particular brand of neurodivergence, um, everything feels like a priority to me. Like no matter what it is, it could literally be taking my trash out and like paying my taxes and giving my clients deadline, Like all of those things feel like an emergency to me. Um, so realizing I don't have to act on every single thing that I want to and that there is time. It's my, my, I'm not like graduating between lines copy. I don't have just four years to do this. You know what I mean? I plan on doing it long-term. So a lot of people, when you're talking about chasing it, I feel like forget that, like there is so much time. A lot of people did experience like a lot of rapid growth, especially in the last couple of years since 2020 um, with people getting laid off and then finding their passion or just deciding to go after their passion or the rise of, you know, online businesses in the past couple of years people have had success so quickly that when that doesn't happen for you, you, you're comparing yourself to somebody else's timeline, somebody else's journey, that's just not what you were meant to be on. It's hard to remember, like, I do have time to do this. Like, this doesn't have to happen instantaneously. Um, So I feel like, the chase is only going to stress you out. Like you can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. You can only control what you're doing today to potentially get a better result tomorrow. Um, and it doesn't help to be stressed about the next moment in the current moment. Cause then you're just going to half-ass both moments. Like you're ruining this one and you're going to not be prepared for the next one. You're already deciding what the narrative of the next one is going to be by being stressed about it. You're already assigning it a feeling when it didn't even happen yet. So that's something that I learned that was really helpful in terms of like chasing that success just taking it one day at a time doing the best that you can each day and then if you didn't do the best you could identifying what was wrong and maybe try a little bit better tomorrow uh, but that's my best advice for that
1: I think that I needed to hear that today it comes at a good time because <laughs> yesterday I had a little breakdown just about this about how I baby. feel like I a month to be. Um, I feel like I've been just <laughs> spreading my energy across too many things, and everything. Like you said, everything feels like it has equal priority, and that's where I go wrong. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. you need to like figure out how you want to spend your time and what your long-term goals are because it can be really easy to say yes to every client that comes by every consultation call but then that kind of like takes away from the vision that you had the long-term goals that you had um for example like you said that you launched your your program and that was like a turning point and that's something that we have been thinking about because we know that it can be just like a potential to diversify income and also have like different levels for people to work with us, but it does Mm -hmm. take time to prepare your audience. And I feel like for a long time we've been afraid of doing something like that because we feel like, oh, it'll just be crickets or nobody will care. So but like what would what are your thoughts on that? Like how did you overcome that feeling (laughs) so
2: in terms of being nervous about launching something new, I feel like there's so many ways I can answer this question. But First of all, with an online course launch, a lot of people love to say like, Oh, passive income, diversify your income, add another income stream. Do not ever do that until you're ready to do it. Right. You're going to, that's going to take you so much time to create this passive income stream that eventually becomes passive. It's never passive in the beginning. It took me like months to create like actual months. Not, not being dramatic, to create this online course. And granted, mine is like very long <laughs> because I don't do anything short. Um, but it takes a long time, a lot of effort out of you. You have to take time away from the other things that are paying you. It's like a big investment in, you know, your brand and trusting yourself. It's a big investment in trusting yourself is the two things that I would say about that. So I don't want anyone listening to this to be like, okay, cool. She has an online course. I should do that. Like don't do that until you are comfortable educating and you're comfortable spending the time to create one. Um, and then obviously you're going to want to do everything that you can to warm up your audience, start preparing them to, you know, Receive that sales content. Eventually, if you're launching a course about design, you're going to want to start talking about design in your content. You're going to want to start talking about those specific things. For me, my course is about website copy and then how to get people to your website using blogging, email, and SEO. I need to be talking about all four of those things and priming my audience and telling them why they're important, why they should care that it's possible for them to DIY this stuff, how they're going to be able to do that, giving them little tips to show them, you know, Hey, I know what I'm talking about. You can learn from me. It's easy to implement and prove that to them. But. Everybody online loves to assign a certain level of success for you. Why? (laughs) For what? You know what I mean? People expect this is gonna be a seven-figure online course launch, like my course is gonna be a failure if I don't get at least 100 students the first time around. You cannot control that, right? You can only control the narrative that you're saying. You can't control the fact that maybe these people don't have money for this right now. Maybe it's not something they're prioritizing right now. Maybe they don't value it yet, but down the line they might. You can only do the best that you can to market it. And then if for some reason it's a flop, right? For some reason it doesn't work. Just ask yourself, why didn't that work? Ask your audience, why didn't you buy this? They'll tell you it's too expensive for me right now. Or I couldn't understand like what, how it would help me, or I'm actually not prioritizing website copy right now. I really am focusing on email, whatever it is, then you can create something based on their feedback, that they actually do want If for some reason that happened to you. Um, but. Also, another thing that people forget about online courses specifically is, again, like I said, it can be any amount of students that join, and that's going to be more students than you have when you didn't have an online course, you know what I mean? Like, it's you're going from $0 to, to I don't know, let's say $1,000 people, whatever. That's still a success. You still created that. People were interested. Even if it was five people, I would still consider that a success um, because focusing on like a number, like my first course launch, I was like, I'm want to get 100 people, like I will be pissed. And my wait list is this many, wait lists are so big. It's like my wait list is this many, like I, I know what my email engagement is, like I'm ready to get 100 people in this course, like that's that's how much we're earning. No, it was April, tax season, am I stupid? Why did I think that 100 people were gonna be like, yeah, I can spend $1,000 right now? No, uh, I had to launch it in April because your girl had a dental bill to pay, so thankfully I was able to pay my dental bill in cash because Lord knows I was not going on a payment plan about that. That's literally why I launched it when I did Bad time to launch a course wouldn't recommend. Um, but people that were on my email list or last April when I launched Side series the first time didn't buy it. The second launch didn't buy it the third launch. Where were they? The fourth launch? Oh, they were knocking on the door cause now they're want Side series. So, it's, you can continue to launch these things and there will be t- people that are so interested and it's just not the right time for them. Eventually it will be. Um, but I feel like my number one tip to combat the feeling of like, is it going to be a flop? Is it not going to be successful? Is to not put any expectation on it, just create it, do the best that you can with creating it, be happy with it, be, you know, make sure that it has an amount of value that you're, comfortable with, and that's a good representation of you, your brand, the way that you educate, and then whatever you get, however many students you get or whatever the, you know, if it's not an online course, however many purchases people make of this item, that's a success. I think just eliminating expectation will make you feel way less stressed about it. Again, like I said before, you can't be stressed about something that didn't happen yet. So yeah, be chill. (laughs) That's my advice.
0: Be chill. Be chill. That, that, be chill. <laughs>
2: my very famous
0: quote. I love it. I love it. um Well, thank you for that launch advice, Sarah. Now we have some last questions. So this is a creativity podcast, so we wanted to ask you, what do you do to refill that creative tank?
2: That's a good question. I feel like this is going to be nobody else's answer, but I'm. Call people like I am, like, tired, dead, like, just not having it. Like, earlier today, I literally sat there looking at my computer, like, uh, dead for an hour, like, in and out of focus, had nothing, no sense of direction. I was like, I need to FaceTime somebody, like, I need to get the energy up, I need to call somebody, I have to talk it out or something. Um, so I definitely say calling a friend, FaceTiming someone, I feel like that wakes me up, gets me back into it. If I'm, you know, talking to somebody's an idea is going to come out of somewhere. Um, that's like the number one thing that I would say gets me back to myself. Not, not necessarily like creativity. I feel like with what I do, it's not so visually creative. You know what I mean? Like I'm not like making a Pinterest board for writing website copy because I'm not designing the website. Um, but I love to, I collect vintage, um, ads. So I love to thrift vintage magazines. I feel like that's like where i do my like physical creative work. I love to do off screen creative things. I'm also a big collage person. I like a very intense collager when I have the time I to haven't done that in forever. But if I was thinking like, I want to do something creative, that's what I would do. I would look through my vintage magazines. I would either, you know, update the little collage journal situation, or I would, you know, go thrift for some new vintage magazines and look through the ads. And sometimes I get copy and smoke from that too. But it's a fun, that's my like, one creative
1: hobby that I have I would have not expected you to say that you call people like for (laughs) me when I'm feeling so uh, tired and uninspired that it's the last thing that I want to do I know that's why I said that I was just
2: giving no one's (laughs) answer
1: but mine Uh, but maybe I should try it who knows maybe maybe it'll be helpful yeah
0: (laughs) i absolutely love the answers about um vintage magazines i think i got this from you um around the same time that you said that i found like a box of old architectural digest magazines and i absolutely went crazy and took all of the box and i don't feel i'm not (laughs) using it (laughs) um almost right really cool prints yeah they're absolutely beautiful like they're They're really old, Um, but yeah, I don't know what to do with them, so I definitely should read them um, and give them some tender love and care. Um, (laughs) Anyways, so (laughs) where can people find you, Sarah?
2: They can find me. My website number one, it's between the linescopy.com. On Instagram, it's at BTL Coffee. Um, and then on Pinterest it's also at BTL Copy. And if you're interested in any of the things we talked about, I share all of the same type of advice in my newsletter. And you can subscribe to that at between the linescopy.com slash subscribe. I send a weekly newsletter every Tuesday morning and it's a good time.
1: Go check her out, guys. Sarah has so much valuable content. I think that you'll just learn so much from just like her Instagram charisma sales her newsletter so
0: check her out premium content you won't believe it's free <laughs>
2: <laughs> people say that all the time yeah.
0: yeah we think that as well it's like how is she giving this for free
2: <laughs> i don't know i'm an oversharer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> love that's that good. that's good um well thank you so much sarah for coming on the pod
2: Thanks for having
0: me. Well, that was an absolutely amazing conversation. I absolutely loved talking to Sarah, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the conversation. Everything she mentioned and all of her links will be linked down in the show notes. So, can go check her out again thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts or a rating on spotify and remember to subscribe
1: and let us know who you guys would love to see in the future because we definitely would love to continue making these types of interviews so if you have someone in mind that you think would be a great fit for the podcast Definitely let us know. You can send us a DM at Instagram at pod or send us an email at hello at ariastudio.co. So thank you so much for listening to this conversation and we hope to see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.